0: The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at LifeHouseChurch.org. What do you do when you've done everything possible that you know what to do, but it's not enough? I mean, you've tried and tried and tried again, but no matter how many times you try, it's not good enough. You've given And you've given more, but it's not enough. You've worked hard and you've worked harder, but it's not good enough. There are some situations when you've given your best, you just kind of put up your hands and say, hey, I did the best I could, right? If you studied as hard as you could for that test and it wasn't good enough, you're like, look, I gave my very best. All right, there's some situations you can kind of throw up your hands and say, hey, I gave my best, that's all I've got. But then there are other situations that are too important for you just to walk away, right? And you're like, it doesn't matter how much I've given or done or tried or worked, there has got to be something more. Even if my best isn't good enough, something's got to turn this situation around. Right, And so what do we do? Like If I think about it, right? maybe you're a parent with a child who's struggling through something that no matter what you do, you can't seem to turn the situation around. Maybe they're struggling with an addiction. Maybe they're struggling with, through some choices. Maybe they're in an abusive relationship. No matter what you do, you can't seem to help enough. Maybe there's a crisis that you're dealing with no matter what you give or how hard you try. You can't seem to turn the story around. Maybe it's a disease. A diagnosis, no matter what you do, no matter what doctors you go to, doesn't seem to turn the tide of the crisis, right? But you can't just throw your hands up and walk away. So what do you do? So I know that what I'm supposed to say here, right, this is what we say, I mean, we're Christians, we go, well, that's when we pray, right? And, and so prayer becomes kind of a last resort, When we've tried and given and done everything we know to do, then we pray. But often the way we pray is more like a wish and a hope. I hope there's a God that hears. And so we kind of throw our prayers up, hoping that something sticks in heaven. And I know you've prayed like that, right? It's it's a little bit desperate. It's a last resort. You're like, I don't know if there is a God, but if there is a God, here you go. So that when something we prayed happens, we respond with like, uh, and you've probably done this before, like, I can't believe it. As in, I can't believe that worked. Or as in, I can't believe that what I was hoping worked out right. And the reason why we say things like, I can't believe it, is because we really didn't believe it. We didn't pray believing. We didn't really believe that God would hear. We didn't really believe that God, if he heard, would answer. And so it's a little bit of like a, a wish and a hope. And then when it comes true, we're not even really sure that that was God. It could have just been coincidence. Because we don't really pray believing. So what do you do when you're up against impossible odds, you're outgunned, outman, and you're in a situation where there's nothing you can do to turn it around. Well, I want to bring you to a story. It's found in the Old Testament of the Bible. So this is how far I am into the Bible. Uh, it's the book of Joshua. And let me give you kind of a quick background to the story. Joshua chapter 10. Here's the background. Joshua takes over command of the nation of Israel for Moses. Now, You, everybody, whether you're familiar with church and the Bible, you know Moses. Moses is kind of a a key hero in the story of the Bible. Moses was the leader that God raised up to lead the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery after 400 years. He's the guy that's kind of the hero of the movie uh, Prince of Egypt, right? Like, he stretches out his rod, the Red Sea divides, the nation of Israel walks through on dry ground. Now, here Here's what was supposed to happen. They were supposed to leave Egypt and slavery behind. They were supposed to march through a desert, which would only take them a few days, get to the other side of the desert, and then take their promised land. They've been waiting to enter the promised land for now hundreds of years. But when they got to the promised land, their doubt and their fears overcame the promise and they rejected God and they rejected the promised land. And so God left them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses died. Joshua took over command and God said, okay, not because it was Moses' fault, but because there was a generation of doubters who refused to obey God. And so now a new generation was raised up, and they were responsible to lead the nation of Israel and conquer the promised land. And so this is where our story is going to pick up. We're a couple of chapters into their conquest, their campaign of victory in the promised land. But now they're gaining a reputation of defeating small cities. And so a few countries got together and said, uh uh, not on our watch. We're not going to let that, you know, let this Israelite country come and destroy us and take our land. And so they came together, five countries united together against Israel. Suddenly, they are in an impossible situation. They're outgunned, outnumbered, and facing an impossible army. And Joshua turns to God and says, help. And this is where our story picks up. I'm going to read Joshua chapter 10, starting in verse 8. God responds and says, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. You're going to win. I'm going to promise your victory. Awesome. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise, this five-country army. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them, meaning they got this big, overwhelming victory in the battle, and now this army made up of five different countries is all running, they're all running for their lives. So Israel pursued them along the road going from Beth Haran and cut them down all the way to Eseka and Mecca. So they're, they're fighting and they're defeating the enemy. Now the enemies are running for their lives and they're chasing them down to fully defeat them because they don't want to have to keep fighting this fight. They don't want to have to face any one of those countries again. And so they're trying to fight them and defeat them completely. By the way, some of y'all, you're like, man, I didn't even know this stuff was in the Bible. This is pretty cool. There you go. Read your Bible. Um, Here we go. Let me keep reading. Then, so they're chasing them, and it says this, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, the enemy, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. This is like epic. Epic. This is like better than like Lord of the Rings, better than like Braveheart type epic level battle. Like here's Israel, this smaller army fighting against five different countries and they're like, freedom! And they're charging in and they're fighting and they're defeating the enemy. But then God's like, no, that's not even good enough. So he's chucking hail from heaven and he's taking out more of the enemy than they can even take out. Like this is pretty epic level fighting. There is a challenge. And this is where this story takes like an interesting turn. They don't have enough daylight. And so the enemy, some of the enemy is going to get away. So Joshua pauses the fight. He goes like this. It says this. "On, On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of all of Israel. So he had to literally stop the fighting, gather up, like re- uh, reunite his entire army, and then he pauses and he prays. And listen to this. This is his prayer. Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jeshar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full Day. I don't know about you, that's pretty incredible. So here, here's the deal, right? Like, it's getting to the end of the day. This is probably what's going on. Now, there's different theories about what may or may not have happened. One theory is that it was actually like a solar eclipse, that they actually needed uh, shade from the baking heat of the day. And so that maybe what was happening was that there was like some type of like a solar eclipse or maybe something else going on in the uh, astronomical miracle moment. Others uh, have hypothesized that really what was happening was it was, it was coming up on the heat of the day, and so Joshua was praying, God, we, need, we still need cloud cover because it's going to get too hot, and my, my men won't be able to fight, and so God extended the cloud cover for an entire day. All of those are a little hard to um, fit into the statement that says, so the sun delayed going down about a full day. So what seems to have happened is that like, while wow, they're fighting on the g- ground and God's throwing hail from heaven. God also does something crazy in the, in the solar system and he literally pauses the movement of the earth around the sun and the moon so that literally they get like an entire, f- another full day of light. Look, whatever questions or thoughts you might have about that like god does what only god does right like whatever we it was it was a miracle and the point isn't even so much about the miracle as much as this it's the very next verse there has never been a day like it before since a day when the lord listened to a human being surely the lord was fighting for israel there it is it was this day like no other day because God listened to the prayer of a human and changed the day. Here's their takeaway that you can pray to the God of the impossible for the impossible. When you're in an impossible situation, when you're up against impossible odds, when you feel like no matter how hard you try, how hard you work, how, hard you, how much you gave, no matter what you did, it wasn't good enough. It's because you're trying to do it in your own strength. You're in an impossible situation. And in those moments, the principle is that we pray to the God of the impossible for the impossible. But we don't pray like that, do we? I mean, if you're honest, we pray over our meals. We pray for different situations. But we don't pray like that. We don't pray like that because we don't know that kind of a God. We don't don't know the God of the impossible. And this isn't your fault. I'm not blaming you. I'm saying we're all like this. Every one of us were born separated from relationship with God. And so we, we pray, but we pray like empty prayers because we think we're praying to an empty heaven. When we pray, we pray legalistic prayers. I mean, we're trying to follow a formula or we're trying to follow the rules, thinking that God is going to be impressed by our right words or the right pattern of our prayer, not realizing that God doesn't care about the right words or saying it the right way. It's who you're praying to that matters. But we're disconnected from God because we're spiritually cut off from God as a result of sin. Sin is a separation from relationship with God because of us. And that's the bad news. So that, that's what happens. Then our prayers just become formulas and legalistic patterns. But that's not what God wants. In this verse, it says there was never a day like it when God listened. Surely the, God, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. There was another day when it seemed like the day stopped. It says that when Jesus was dying on the cross, it was about three in the afternoon, and suddenly it became dark. Maybe a day with the longest night rather than the longest day. And as Jesus hung on the cross, why was he on the cross? Because sin separated us from relationship with God. So God became a man to take on our sin and our sin punishment. So Jesus absorbed our sin punishment, died on the cross to take on our eternal death penalty so that he could reunite us in relationship with God. Jesus died so that you can know him. But Jesus not only died, he rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, he gives us life. So anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is both forgiven of their sins and given new and forever life. And so maybe you've, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've, you've prayed, but you've never prayed really knowing God. Maybe you've come to church, but you don't know the God that we worship. Can I encourage you that today could be a moment where you just say yes to faith in Jesus? We're going to put a QR code up on the screen, and if you're saying yes to Jesus today, do me a favor. Just pull out your smartphone. You can open up the camera thing and just scan that, and when you scan it, it'll send you to a link. You can quickly fill out. You fill out the form so that when you fill that out and you you submit it, one of our pastors is going to follow up with you. We want to encourage you as you begin this new relationship with God. A relationship with a God who knows you and loves you. He loved you so much that he refused to spend eternity without you. Now you've said yes to Jesus. You have a relationship with God. Do you know that (laughs) Jesus died and rose again so that you can not only have relationship with God, but the way you maintain relationship with God is prayer. So the first key to this is, so I'm gonna jump and i to read you a couple verses, um, and to capture this point, let me read you the key verse. This is what Joshua does, right? It says this, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel. So in front of the whole nation, Joshua pauses and he prays to God. You know what the key is? Pray to the God of the impossible. You want, you want, To pray big prayers. You want to pray impossible-sized prayers? Start by praying to the God of the impossible. I've had um, the privilege on a handful of occasions to go to Annapolis uh, to our legislature, I've been invited on a couple different times to lead the invocation as they open like the state senate. So each day when the senate is in session, they have a religious leader come and they'll open the session in, with an invocation, a prayer. So I've been invited on a couple different times to do that. And each time you, you have to write out your prayer and you submit your prayer and they have a couple different rules like you can't pray in Jesus name. And I wrestled with that the first time I had the opportunity But uh, as I studied scripture, I thought, you know what? Jesus didn't pray in Jesus' name. It wasn't like when he finished the Our Father, he said, in my name, amen. And I figured if Jesus can pray that way, so can I. He taught us to pray. And so we asked, that's okay. I have no problem. I know who I'm praying to. But I will tell you this. When I have led those kind of prayers, you want to hear how I pray? Because I'm praying to the God of the impossible. I'm gonna bring you there. Here's how I've opened my prayers. Heavenly Father, we pause right now. We know that we are not praying to a generic, nameless, unknowable God, but to the God who is creator of all things, the maker of the universe, who loves us and knows us by name, and we know you by name. We welcome you into this space, right? That's how I open my prayer, something like that, right? Because I want to make it clear that this is not some generic (laughs) prayer. I'm not praying a generic prayer to a generic God. It's not prayer that matters. It's prayer to to the God of the impossible. I am praying to Jesus, the one that I know and knows me. You, You see, like there's a difference. It's not just prayer for prayer's sake. That's the difference between saying I'm offering thoughts and prayers. Look, I'm going to be clear. I don't just offer thoughts and prayers. When I pray, like if we're praying for Uvalde, we're praying for for Buffalo, right? Like I'm praying to the God of the impossible, My prayer isn't some just thrown out there prayer. This isn't some formulaic prayer. I'm praying to the God who knows us by name, a God who knows you, who loves you, who is willing to give his life to give you life. That's who I'm praying to. And so when we come to God in prayer, I want you to come to God in prayer the way a child comes to a loving parent. Now, you know, when a child does something wrong, right, they come to a parent, And they come a little bit meekly. They come shy. They have to come hanging their head. And you know, like, I'm sorry. Right? Like, but you don't want to spend relationship like that. Be careful. The bandwidth of your prayer life should not be you just apologizing to God and asking for forgiveness. Like in essence, God wants to get past that quickly. Like, yes, of course. Say you're sorry. Say, God, please forgive me. Absolutely. God wants to forgive. But let let me give you a little key to prayer. God forgives quickly so you can move on to the important stuff. Like husband and wife, get over it, right? Like for Laura and I, we want to quickly get over any conflict so we can move on with the rest of the night. You get right? Like in your relationship with God, move on quickly, so that you pray to a God that you know personally. Here's the key. Here's why I'm saying this. Because you've got to get to know God in relationship because it changes how you pray. When you get to know the God of the impossible, you begin to pray differently. So I talked about my relationship with like your relationship, a, parent, a parent's relationship with their children. I don't want my kids spending all their time in conversation with us just saying they're sorry for stuff. No, like, let's laugh together. Let's let's learn about each other. Let's get to know each other. Why? Because as my kids get to know me, they know what we want to do. They know what they can ask us and what we want to say yes to. The more you get to know God, right, as you spend time reading his word, You get to know God. As you spend time in relationship with God, you get to know him. You get to know his heart. You get to know his passion. You get to know what God wants to do. And that matters. So the first key here is pray to the God of the impossible. Build relationship with God. Prayer is not just a discipline or a habit. Prayer is an opportunity and access to God himself. You get the privilege of prayer. Jesus died and rose again to give you access to God himself. Now, so let me, let me take that next step. What, what happens after that? When you pray to the God of the impossible, you pray for the impossible. Here's what I mean by that. Ask great things of a great God. You've, you've tried your best. You've worked hard. You've given as much as you could give. You've, you've tried as much as you could try, right? Like you gave your best. You can only give your best. But when you pray, you invite God's best into this situation. Which would you rather have, your best or God's best? Hey, I'm bringing, I am I want to bring God's best every. Time into those crises, situations or whatever it is that I feel is impossible. And so I'm going to say, I want to ask great things of a great God, So when you pray, here's the key, right? Joshua was asking God to do what God already wanted to do. God gave him a promise. I want to give you victory over all your enemies. It was a promised land. God says, I'm going to give you victory. And Joshua's fighting for the victory. And then Joshua prays. And I don't even know where he came up with this crazy prayer. God, make the day longer. But would you agree that that's just like way outside the box thinking? I have found that that's not really outside the box thinking. It's outside the box praying. Pray outside the box. Pray impossible-sized prayers. Because you're praying to the God of the impossible. Pray the kind of prayers that if God answered them, it would actually change things. Pray the kind of prayers that God wants to answer because you know the heart of God because you've spent time with him and time in his word. Pray the kind of prayers that when you pray them, they scare you. Pray the kind of prayers that if someone else ever read them, it would be like reading Joshua's prayer. Like, what? You're praying for the sun to just stop, like the earth to stop revolving around the sun? Like, don't you even know what you're asking? Like, that's ridiculous. Like us science-rich people, we know that you can't ask those kind of things. I love children because children don't know any better than to ask big, great things of God. So that's why Jesus says, when you come to God, come to him as a child. Meaning, don't bring all your scientific formulas. Don't bring all of your, God can't do that, and God can't do this, and God can't. Just pray. Say, God, I know it's impossible. It's ridiculous to even ask, but would you do it? I have definitely had those moments in my life where either Laura prayed something or my kids prayed something and we were kind of like, yeah, God, I don't even expect you to answer that. My, it's ridiculous, sounds silly, but like my engine exploded on my car. Like literally, things were rattling around as I was coming to a screeching halt. And um, Laura comes to pick me up And we find out that you get more money for your car at the junkyard if you drive it there. So you know what Laura does? She prays over my car. God, I pray that this car will start so that Patrick can drive it all the way to the junkyard. And no joke, she prays that. And you know what I said? I was like, God, (laughs) I know that Laura don't know anything about cars. I know the engine's shot. It's all right. You don't have to answer that prayer. No true story. Laura says, at least try to start it. I said, I'm not going to try to start it. It's dead. She says, come on. Now, you already know what happens, right? Because I wouldn't be telling a story. No joke. Put the key back in. It starts up. I hear banging in the engine. I'm waiting for a cylinder to fly through my dashboard and hit me in the head. But I drove that goofy car all the way to the junkyard, and we got like three times as much for it than if you had to get it towed. Now, I don't know. That doesn't seem like a great thing to ask of God. But Laura was just... Innocent enough to ask something of God that's impossible. And I've watched God over and over and over answer impossible prayers. People who don't know any better, because they don't know about how the sun revolves, you know, sun, earth, moon, all that. Like they don't know any better. So they just pray, God, I need a longer day to fight and win. The battle that you told me to fight. See, the key is that he was asking God to do more of what God already wanted to do. God, do more of what you're already doing. God, I know you want our city to be healed. I know you want my family to be restored. I know you want my child to be set free from these addictions. God, I know you want my classroom to be made whole. God, I know that you want more of people to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You did it before. Would you do it again? God, would you do more of what you're already doing? Let me give you a couple quotes from some authors who knew just a little bit about prayer. One is by John Christom from... uh from 407 AD. It's going to be up on the screen, so you can read it along with me. He wrote this, The potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed the anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, assuaged diseases, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, and stayed the sun in its course right, has arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. Prayer is, he wrote, a treasure undiminished, a mind that is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. Prayer can drive hailstones from heaven to defeat our enemies. And prayer can extend the hand of God to hold your hand as you walk through situations that feel like hell. Sometimes he throws hell from heaven and sometimes he holds you as you go through hell. That's the power of prayer. Mark Batterson, he's a friend of mine and he pastors a great church in Washington, D.C. He wrote a, a New York Times bestselling book called The Circle Maker where he wrote this, bold prayers honor God and God honors Bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or your boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers are impossible to you, they are insulting to God. They are are the best predictors of your spiritual future. What you become is determined by how you pray. Ultimately, the transcript of your prayers becomes the script of your life. Let me pause on that one transcript of your prayers becomes the script of your life. The greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. Most of, us do, most of us don't get what we want because we quit praying. We give up too easily. We give up too soon. We quit praying right before the miracle happens. If you don't take the risk, you forfeit the miracle. I read those because I hope I can instill in you, not just inspire in you, but instill in you. Spirit of God comes in every one of your hearts and you begin to experience a transformation, a thirst, a desire, a hunger for great prayer. Become a praying person. And don't just pray in rhythm. Don't just pray in routine. Pray as if prayer is the very script of your life. Pray to a God of the impossible so that he will do the impossible. The author of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 16 wrote this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. You want to know the kind of prayers that God encourages us to pray? It's written, Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. He said, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth, your possession. God's up in heaven like this. Hey, you might be praying a little too small. Why don't you ask me to give you countries? Give you the people to the ends of the earth. He's saying, why don't you begin to pray for your neighbors, for your classroom, for your coworkers, pray for a city, pray for a country to be transformed. Here's what happens when you pray. Because we don't stop at thoughts and prayers. We start at prayers. Prayer isn't a last resort. It's our first source and resource. Acts chapter four, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Bold prayers make you bold. When you pray to the God of the impossible for the impossible, you begin to participate in the impossible. Joshua prays, son, stand still. God, would you hold the day in its place so that I can continue to fight the battle you've called me to fight? You see it? Joshua was participating with God in the impossible. So when you ask God to do the impossible, you know that you're praying to the God of the impossible for the impossible. You begin to participate in the impossible. Become part of the God of the impossible's answer to the prayers you're praying. Be willing to participate in the impossible things God is doing. You're part of the answer. So here's what I want to do. I was a little nervous about ending this message in prayer (laughs) because I feel like you're all going to put me to the test and be like, all right, Patrick, let's hear it. Now, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that within LifeHouse, those of you joining us online, each of us, God gives a thirst in us to pray to the God of the impossible, for the impossible. I'm going to pray for your prayer life. I'm going to pray that you become a great prayer. Somebody who is passionate to be in relationship with God. Heavenly Father, thank you that you did not leave us alone far from you. Thank you that you did not abandon us to the long, dark night of the soul. Thank you that you did not leave us in a forever without you. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to us that you heard the cries and the desperate pleads of your people. You came and you died and you gave your life to give us life. Now, God, would you stir in this place and in our hearts a hunger and a thirst for more of you. Transform us so that we become people of prayer. Transfix our thoughts on you The God of the impossible. God, make us desperate. to Help us to turn to you not as a last resort, but as our first source and resource. And God, stir from within this church the kind of prayers that shape our homes and transform classrooms and schools and cities and a nation. May our nation be different because we pray to the God of the impossible for the impossible. God, we thank you that we're not praying to a generic, nameless, unknowable God, but to you, the maker of the universe, who knows each one of us by name, who loves us, who designed us, and who placed each of us here in this moment, who wants to have relationship with us. We pray to you, Jesus. Teach us to pray. Teach us to love the prayer. God, would you stir our hearts to be people of prayer? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.